Good afternoon. Welcome to the Fontenelle Final Bell here on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Susan Littlefield. It was a WASDE report day. We've got weather patterns to talk about, not only currently, but what's going to happen with these weather models in the spring and the summer. And I'm sorry, I'm not going to be a basket of roses when we bring you this information. Uh, China back in the bind, but also having some cuts to China. How does that all fit into the marketplace? We're going to get all the details today as we talk with Arlen Suderman. Arlen is with StoneX, and so maybe we need to start out with this WASDE report, Arlen, because even with the numbers, we saw some jumps again in the soybeans. Yeah, I thought today's reaction really to the report said a great deal if we look at it. Um, first of all, if we were going to summarize this report, we'd say that the, the numbers from the report came out pretty close to what the published trade estimates were. Uh, and so we saw a lot of, you know, some numbers above, some numbers below, um, but overall pretty close to what the published trade estimates were. Um, but then we saw the market really kind of swoon and sell off. Uh, and that really reflects what the whisper numbers were. The trade was disappointed because it thought, even though we had the published trade estimates going into the report, the whisper numbers are what the trade thought we might do. Um, it thought maybe USDA would be much more aggressive in its production estimates for South America than what it was. And uh, so it was a disappointment, so we saw a sell-off. And you can say that's a, maybe a little bit of buy the rumor, sell the fact or something as well. But I think a lot of it was that disappointment that we didn't reach the whisper numbers on the production cuts. But then the market found its energy and, and really got energized once again. And we had a good, strong close to the markets so with big gains led by soybeans, but good, solid gains in corn and wheat as well. This is a market that acts like it wants to go higher, and it's looking for reasons to go higher. It's choosing to believe that USDA is going to tighten up stocks further, both domestically and globally in future reports. It's choosing to believe that we have some more stories to be told out there by USDA. And furthermore, we're seeing Chinese demand come in. Our cash market sources are saying that China was a very active buyer of corn today. I don't know how long it's going to take USDA to confirm that. Uh, because China doesn't really um, have to report it to the USDA until they line up the freight for what they're buying. Um, but we do certainly see them very actively buying corn and soybeans. And for them to be buying corn tells me, and soybeans as well, that they're worried that global supplies are going to get even tighter in this year of adverse weather problems and fertilizer crop input problems. So... It was an exciting day from that standpoint. A boring report produces an exciting response. That says something. I love how you put that because, yeah, it does uh, give a little excitement and some interesting outlooks as we look ahead. Now, you talk about uh, China and, and their buying, but what about these cuts and how does that fit in to what we're seeing in the marketplace? Well, for to kind of explain those cuts a little bit, first of all, the feeding margins for the hog industry in China are slipping negative again. Uh, the demand for China in China for pork is just not what it used to be prior to the record high prices that were created by African swine fever. And so 
as, as the industry rebuilds a hog herd, it doesn't need the imports, but it's also having trouble getting rid of the pork that it's producing. And so feeding margins are poor, and therefore uh, we're not seeing the feed demand we like, particularly for, for soy meal. And that's a little bit soft. Um, but USDA's already cut that back some. China's cut that back some. But I think one of the real stories here is also the anticipation of smaller crop in South America that's creating these higher prices. It's one thing to feed soy meal and your rations at a high level if soy meal's cheap. It's another thing to do it if it's expensive. And so when we came out with our producer survey uh, production estimate for uh, for Brazil last week at 126.5 million metric tons. Now that compares to originally two months ago we were at 145 million metric tons. USDA started out at 134, went down to 139 last month, and now is at 100. Excuse me. Started out 144, went down 139. It's now 134, and we anticipate them coming down another five million metric tons next month. Um, to make the balance sheet work now, as the South American crop gets smaller, and it's not just Brazil, but it's Paraguay's crop getting much smaller, and we think that's going to get a lot smaller yet. Argentina's crop is getting smaller. To make the balance sheet work, you've got to ration demand because there's not enough soybeans to meet it. So USDA, even though they were conservative in reducing the size of the South American crop today, they reduced crush demand in China, another 3 million metric tons, therefore reducing imports, another 3 million metric tons. And that pretty well goes along with what I already had on my balance sheet. So it's not a surprise. And I'd be saying if we were looking at 8 $9 beans, we probably wouldn't have seen that reduction. But when we're looking at beans trading at about $16, and then you pay the freight over there, and by the time you get it to the crushing plant, um, you're talking about 18 to $19 or more. I've seen some estimates around $20 by the time the taxes are paid, import taxes. Um, that's when they're starting to ration that demand a little bit quicker in China. Short term, do you have any weather concerns for Brazil and, and uh, Argentina? Yeah, the crop is pretty well determined in Brazil. We can still go a little bit either way in some of the southern areas of Brazil where the combines haven't reached yet because the crop's not quite mature. Argentina we are now the equivalent about the 1st of August in the development of crop in the Midwest. So you know when we're 1st of, of August in Argentina, or equivalent, we can do a lot of damage or we can do a lot of good to the soybean crop. Unfortunately for Argentina, the forecast is looking dry, not only in the weeks ahead, but over the next six to eight weeks. All right, we're going to talk more about that and this weather model as we look to the growing season here in the States. Stick around. More is coming up. It is the Wednesday version of the Fontenelle Final Bell on the Rural Radio Network. Here is another Fontenelle feature. I'm Joe Gangwish with Fontenelle Hybrids featuring another dealer for our network. We're going to visit with Terry Kachera from Bassett, Nebraska. And Terry, tell us a little bit about your dealership and working for Fontenelle. Well, Joe, I've been a dealer for Fontenelle since 1972. During my career as a seed dealer and farmer in Nebraska, I've seen a lot of change 
As genetics and technology progress through the years and decades, Fontenelle has always been as progressive as any seed company that I've ever been around. Terry, any advice that you've learned through all these years of dealing with Fontenelle? I've always said uh, in farming, you're always going to make mistakes. You know, in most mistakes, you just can't help. You know, it's the weather or machine breakdown or pivot blows over or something like that. Uh, hybrid selection really isn't one that you should have to worry about. And Fontenelle always stands well, always yields well, and is fairly priced. That's Terry Kuchera from Bassett, Nebraska. To learn more about products or to become a dealer, just go to Fontenelle.com. Yeah. Welcome back to the Fontenelle Final Bell here on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Susan Littlefield as we continue our conversation with Arlen Suderman. He is with Stonex. And we left off kind of talking about this weather pattern that's happening right now in Brazil and Argentina. And for those producers, uh, they've got a lot weighing on this this crop. And not only the crop that they're harvesting now, but the safrina corn crop they want to get in the ground. So that kind of sets an interesting tone for them as they move forward. Yeah, it really does. With global supplies of corn, soybeans, and wheat, uh, particularly milling-quality wheat, all being snug right now, weather really matters as does things that affect demand. And, of course, it, <clears throat> the supplies are already being threatened by geopolitical risk in Ukraine and, and, our, and Russia that we've talked about previous weeks. Um, but when weather, we focus on that now. Um, so we look at the outlook going forward. It's really being shaped by what's happening with the ENSO cycle. That's whether we're in a La Nina, which is cool waters in the equatorial Pacific, or warm waters, which would be an El Nino in the equatorial Pacific. This is the second year of a La Nina. And when we get back-to-back years of La Ninas, they tend to be more eastward focused toward the eastern side of the Pacific. And so that is why we're seeing a different response in South America in the weather patterns than what we saw a year ago. So as we kind of play that forward and we look at the analog years and and what the models from that are saying, it suggests that we're going to have a pretty strong dry bias in Argentina really on through March and maybe even into April. And that really is the key production time for the bulk of the corn and soybean crops in Argentina. Then as you look further north to Brazil for their winter corn crop, that safrina corn crop, that's the big crop that they produce each year from where their exportable supplies come. Remember last year, that's a crop that was really short because it got planted late and then they had a drought. Well, this year's crop looks like it's going to be planted on time, so that's not the problem. But what about rainfall? And, and and the models are a little bit mixed on that, but typically when you get a dying La Nina, as we have excuse me, that is more eastern-based, then you tend to end the monsoon early. And this is where the models are generally in disagreement. There's a general agreement that we're going to see dryness in the Safrina Corn Belt in the mid and lower southern areas of the Safrina Corn Belt. But what about those highly productive areas of Meta Grasso to the northern end of the belt? That's where the models are a little bit of disagreement. When is the monsoon going to end? How far south might it slip versus north up toward the Amazon? And so the models are really split on that. So we're not calling for a crop failure like they had last year, but there are some significant risks for that crop going forward, particularly since it looks like they're going to be using lower fertilizer rates because of high prices this year as well. When we translate that up to the United States, these same factors at play 
So now we also have to put into play what's happening in the Gulf of Alaska, we've, where we've had abnormally cool temperatures that have curled along the west coast of Canada and the United States um, down toward Hawaii somewhat. Now, those temperatures are moderated. They still have a cool bias. They're not as cool as they were. We need to see what they continue to do going forward. But this is a very similar setup that we had um, to 2012, which was also following the demise of a second-year La Nina. Now, I'm not saying that we're going into a 2012 setup. If you look at the weather models that come from the Euro seasonal outlook, it does keep this pattern well into the spring with the dryness that's currently in the plains um, and much of the south kind of spreading up into the Midwest. And that's a fairly normal pattern once drought gets a hold in the plains to start spreading into the western Midwest. And that does have that into the spring, and it continues to grow that into the summer. One of the reasons it's growing that is because the models tend to say, whatever's happening now, we're going to project that forward. We don't know if what's happening now is going to continue. We don't know if those waters in the Gulf of Alaska and off the west coast are going to continue to stay cool or whether they're going to warm. That's going to be the key to watch in the months ahead. But the bottom line that we can take away from this is that the funds who are looking at these weather models are saying, we may have a bigger story yet to go here. We're not going to give up on these corn and soybean markets until we see how the growing season plays out for Safrina corn and for the U.S. Midwest this summer. Now, it doesn't mean we won't have any sell-offs or any sharp corrections in these markets, but it does suggest that this is very attractive to these fund managers when they're looking for something that they can trade that will help them hedge their portfolios against inflation. So it's making the grain and oil seeds, the food-based commodities, still look very attractive to them and why we're paying so much attention to these weather patterns now. It definitely would have been nice to, to give a rosier picture, shall we say. But, you know, it is a weather pattern. We can always hope that there's a little bit of change and, and bring in some sort of moisture to our growers. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, unfortunately, it looks like we've got some risks ahead of us. Very much so. Best way for folks to get a hold of you, Arlen. Uh, StoneX.com or over on Twitter. My handle is Arlen, A-R-L-A-N-F-F-101. And that is today's Fontenelle Final Bell. It's been brought to you by Fontenelle Hybrids and all your local dealers right here on the Rural Radio Network.